Thank you, Dad, for leading singing and for the first sermon. All right. Again, appreciate everybody being here tonight. Uh, we're going to do a little overview of the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and really, the hope of this is to maybe push you to studying this book a little bit more here tonight. So a very broad look at the book of Ecclesiastes tonight. You know, one of the most fundamental questions of life is, why am I here? Or if we put it in the plural, why are we here? In other words, this could be said, what's my purpose here on earth? Or what's the meaning of life, right? We, we tend to hear that question sometimes. And whether we realize it or not, we actually all ask this question and answer this question. And we answer it by the way that we live. What's my purpose? What's, what's the meaning of life? Again, that's one of the questions that a lot of people ask. It's no secret, it's no surprise to us, I mean, that God's word contains this answer. You know, God's word gives us everything we need for this life. And God's word tells us what our purpose is here. It tells us what the meaning of life is. And in particular, we can find that in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I, we can find it in other places as well. But in particular, the book of Ecclesiastes spells out for us what our purpose is in life, what our aim and, and goal is in life. The book, this book spells out for us. It's a fantastic book. And I got into studying about this book. I was preparing for uh, the curriculum for Gulf Coast Bible Camp this, this summer for Teen Week. And I prepared that material. And I was just fascinated by this book. I've read through it many times. But as I actually was diving deep, I was just finding so much treasure and goodness in this book. And that's the thing about God's Word. You can always keep digging and digging and digging more. And by no means am I an expert on the book of Ecclesiastes, but I have been doing a little bit more studying. And so I've compiled the material I've taken into to one lesson here. And, and uh, I hope that it will be beneficial tonight and you will learn something about this book. I think the book of Ecclesiastes is one that gets a little overlooked sometimes. You know, it's not one of those books that we hear a lot of classes on. We hear a lot of sermons on. And I think one of the reasons why that happens is because it's got some difficult language in it, and it's, it's really, it carries a negative tone, a pessimistic tone to it, and a lot of, that scares a lot of people, and it, it scares me. It scared me for a while. I haven't really taught on Ecclesiastes that much uh, until I really started getting into it, again, preparing for that material for Gulf Coast Bible Camp, uh, but this book is, it's just filled with so much good, and we need to be getting into it, and there's even though it does maybe carry a, a more negative tone, a pessimistic tone, it, it wraps it all up so beautifully, and it ties in with the Bible so perfectly, and, and there's so much treasure to uncover here, and, and so I, I really hope that uh, we, will, we will study this book even further after we leave here tonight. So let's, let's look at a couple of things about this book. Number one, that, that has been a topic of debate for a long time is the authorship of this book. All right, for, for as, long, I mean, uh, as long as I can, we, we can even think about, people have been debating uh, who the author was of this book. The fact of the matter is, there is no author mentioned in the book. Nobody writes, you know, sometimes Paul, uh, in, in his letters, Paul says, this is from Paul and Timothy, or this is from Peter, you know. There's none of that here in this book, right? This is an anonymous book. However, 
The traditional view is that Solomon wrote this book. And there's several reasons why Solomon is thrown out as the author of this book. And that's who I go with as the author of this book. Number one is the fact that he calls himself the son of David. That's chapter 1, verse 1. Well, obviously, Solomon was the son of David, the biological son of David. Now, some people have a problem with this, and they say, well, hold on a second. David, number one, had other sons. That's true. And number two, just because he says he's a son of David doesn't mean it's his biological son, okay? And what that means is um, anybody who came after David in, in his line technically could have been called a son of David, right? Even Jesus was called son of David. And so Jesus is not the, obviously not the biological son of David. He just came from the line of David in, in the tribe of Judah. And so some people say, well, that doesn't prove that it's Solomon. However, it doesn't disprove that it's Solomon either because he was the biological son of David. Secondly, he mentions he's the king of Israel. This is chapter 1, verse 12. Now this does start singling it out a little bit more. David, or Solomon was the son of David and he was the king of Israel. You know, remember it was Saul, David, and then Solomon. Right? So Solomon reigned there in Jerusalem, had the temple built under his watch, right? So that fits Solomon as well. Now again, uh, well, 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 we'll keep going here. Um, number, number three here, he was greater in wisdom than anyone who ruled before him in Jerusalem. Now we know that Solomon was great in wisdom, right? Remember God came to him and said, ask for whatever you want. He said he wanted a discerning heart to judge the people of Israel because he would... He, he, didn't, he didn't think he had what it took to do it, right? And so God gave him that wisdom and even more uh, than, than wisdom. We'll talk more about that in a second. And now again, some people do have a problem with this one and say, hold on a second. Why would he say he's greater in wisdom than anyone who ruled before him in Jerusalem if there were only a couple of kings in Israel before him? Well, the, the truth is there were actually other kings there in Jerusalem before the kings of Israel. There were other peoples that inhabited that land. So he could be talking about anybody who'd been in Jerusalem before him. He's greater than. So that fits Solomon as well. Uh, fourthly, he was very wealthy. Very wealthy. That's what he mentions in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And obviously Solomon was very, very wealthy. Again, God asked him what he wanted. He asked for a discerning heart. God gave him that, but also gave him riches upon riches. I mean, Solomon, it's hard to put into words just how rich and, and wealthy Solomon was. Gold was like nothing in his time because he had so much of it. Right? I mean, he had everything anybody could ever want. All right? And so that definitely fits Solomon. And then finally, he arranged many proverbs. This is, he says this in chapter 12, verse 9, uh, the writer uh, here in Ecclesiastes. And we go to the book of Proverbs, and we'll see Solomon's name on the book of Proverbs. Uh, and so, with all of this information together, it, it's, it very much points to Solomon. And so that's who I go with as the author of this book. And, and it, it, it makes this book, uh, it kind of seems like Solomon is qualified to write this book. And the reason is, he had everything. Everything you could ever want. He experienced so much, and yet... He, he says it's all meaningless. It's all meaningless. And we're going to get to this in just a second. But he was uniquely qualified to write this book. Because he, of all that he had been through, all that he had, and all that he experienced in life. But nonetheless, if it wasn't Solomon, the message still remains the same. And we're going to try to uncover that here tonight. Another important uh, consideration is the preacher. You'll see throughout this book that 
the words come from someone identified as the preacher. Some versions say the teacher, uh, depending on what translation you have, preacher or teacher. Now, the Hebrew word for preacher is koheleth, koheleth. And Ecclesiastes is this approximate Greek uh, translation of this word, okay? So Ecclesiastes is the approximate translation of the Greek rendering, or is the Greek rendering of koheleth. That's what Ecclesiastes means. So the word literally means one who convenes an assembly. That's what the word Ecclesiastes means. When you see the word preacher in the text, that's what this word means, one who convenes an assembly. I'll be honest, I didn't know that until I started studying this book. And it it makes sense now thinking about ecclesiology and things like that. But it it doesn't really dawn on us what the word Ecclesiastes means. It's just like, well, that's just a weird word in the the book. No, it's it's one who convenes an assembly. And it's as if this person is bringing an assembly together and talking to them and imparting knowledge and wisdom to them. All right, and so when you see that word preacher, that's, that's... really what the word Ecclesiastes is, one who convenes an, an assembly. Also, the book of Ecclesiastes is what we call wisdom literature. Right? This falls into the category of wisdom literature. Other books that fall here in this are uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Songs, uh, are the other books that fall into this category. These books are very practical And they're seeking to uncover life. It's about life and how to navigate through life. And again, a lot about wisdom. What what is wisdom? How do we get wisdom? Right? And that's how all of these books, what these books are basically uh, about here. And and you can think about that when you think about Psalms and Proverbs and, and Job. They're kind of deep books that think and ponder about life. And there's a questions about life. And that's... uh. Ecclesiastes falls within wisdom literature. A couple other key considerations for this book. Number one is the meaning of meaningless. That kind of sounds weird to say what's the meaning of meaningless, but um, you're going to see this word pop up so many times in this book. Everything is meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Well, the word in Hebrew is hebel. All right, Hebel is the word in Hebrew, and it literally means a vapor or smoke, and that's why the background for the slides is smoke. Because that's what this word literally means. And so, in essence, what he's saying is, it's smoke, it's smoke. Everything is smoke. It's a vapor. Kind of reminds us of what James says, that our life is a mist that's here for a moment, and then the next it's gone. And so what he's saying is, everything in life is a vapor. It's here one second, and then it's gone. It's transient. It's temporal. Nothing's going to last. And so... It's meaningless because nothing really is going to give us that, that lasting value and that lasting pleasure or, or meaning. And so that's what that, this word meaningless really means in the Hebrew is a smoke or a, a vapor. Everything's transient. Everything's temporal. Next, uh, something that's really, really important is this phrase, under the sun. Under the sun. You're going to see this phrase, I believe, about 30 times in this book you're going to see the phrase under the sun, all right? And what a lot of scholars believe that he's referring to is a life apart from God. See, here on earth, we live under the sun, right? We're under the sun here on earth. And so uh, most scholars believe he's referring to a life here on earth apart from God. 
Listen to this quote from uh, Warren Berkeley. Reading and navigating Ecclesiastes can be confusing and perplexing if we neglect this simple working premise. Solomon is dramatically describing life here on earth and the folly of that existence when God is left out. No matter how exciting life may seem to be under the sun, ultimately it has no value without God. I, I love that quote. It kind of encapsulates really the entire book there. Andrew Howell from, from Regency gave a lesson on this one time, and he said something along the lines of, if there's a perspective of under the sun, there has to be another perspective, a higher perspective above the sun. And that's the perspective that the writer is trying to get us to understand, is a different perspective, not the perspective here on earth that we live under the sun, maybe apart from God, a worldly view of life, but a different perspective. And so that's kind of what he's trying to uncover as he goes through this, this book. So let's dive into it just a little bit here tonight, and we'll try to, try to get through here, and, and I hope this will propel you into studying this book a little bit more. The first verses of the book give us really a good summary of the entire book. Look what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, or meaningless, of meaningless, meaningless, the preacher says. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, all right? And meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. So Solomon starts out the book saying everything is meaningless. And that's kind of confusing. It's like, really, is everything meaningless? We have to keep reading to kind of uncover what he's saying. But throughout the book, he actually starts examining um, specific things that are meaningless, all right, and take a look here in this next slide. Here, we don't have time to cover everything, but I want you to look at some of the things that Solomon will go over in this book that are meaningless. This is not an exhaustive list. These are just ones that I pulled out as, as I was going through and, and that I think that we can identify with very easily. Pleasure, possessions, labor and, or work, human mortality, the fact that we all die, rivalry, rivalry between people, Riches, honor, and again, there's so many other things that he actually points to that are meaningless. These are just some of the things, but here's the sad reality. So many people are living meaningless lives, according to, to Solomon. Because think about the people in, in the world. So many people are pursuing these very things that Solomon's going to say in the book. That's meaningless. That, that's really not going to provide you any lasting pleasure or value in life these things up here Th think about a couple things for me number one pleasure up there it seems like people are always looking for the next thing to give them that rush the next thing that's fun or exciting that experience that woos them oh, i've just got to have this thing right i've got to have this pleasure and the idea here is that you know what we should just have fun in life that we should do whatever makes us feel good, and you know what? That's going to make us happy. And Solomon says, no, no, pleasure's not going to do it. That's meaningless. How about money and, and possessions? Riches and possessions. You know, millions and millions of people pursue the dollar, pursue the money. And I know that you got to have money to pay for things. you got to have money to, to, to make things work. But life is not all about money. But the idea that people try to, that the world tries to press on us is that the more money and possessions we have, 
the better off we're going to be, the happier we're going to be. Or if we become rich, we can buy whatever we want, and that's what's going to make us really happy. And Solomon says, no, no, I've tried that too. I've tried the possessions. I've tried the, the riches, and it's not found in that either. Happiness really isn't found there either. That's meaningless. How about work and labor? You know, so many people find their, their identity in their job. So I've got to work up to the, to the next spot in my job. I've got, to keep, I've got to keep making my way up this corporate ladder. I've got to get the best job. I've got to stand out in my field. And I've got to have the, the best job so people will respect me, right? That's what's going to bring me purpose. And, and that's what's going to provide me meaning is my work. And Solomon says, no, no, that's not going to do it. That's not going to do it either. And so, so many people are pursuing these things. And again, we could go on and on and on. And Solomon says, this, this type of stuff, it's, it's meaningless. That's really not going to provide you meaning in life or purpose, true lasting purpose. I, I think he sums it up really well in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. He sums, I think it's a really good summary for what we've been talking about so far. Listen to what he says. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. You see, Solomon, I mean, he had everything, right? Everything that you could, anybody could ever imagine having, he had it. And if he didn't, he made it. He's like, well, I just went and planted it, or I just made a reservoir, I just did this, I built that. If I wanted it, I got it, right? And I worked, I did all this work. I got all this pleasure, the delights of a man's heart, all this stuff. And in the end, it's like chasing after the, the wind, Right? If you chase after the wind and you grab for the wind, you're going to open your hand and it's going to be empty. There's not going to be anything there. Solomon says all of that was meaningless. If we're living for, for this life alone, the pleasure and the possessions, we're, we're chasing right after the wind. We're, we're, cha- we're running right along with, with Solomon. There's nothing, nothing really lasting in these things is what Solomon is telling us. He's going to go throughout the book and to talk about these different things that we mentioned a few minutes ago that are, are meaningless. But nothing in this life is really going to ever provide us with true purpose or meaning. 
And that's hard for us sometimes because we get wrapped up in this world and we think, man, my life is so great because I have this and I have that and I've got this beautiful this and this beautiful that or whatever it may be. But true meaning is not found in that. That's not, those things are never going to provide us purpose. The only thing that can provide us purpose, what Solomon ends up saying, is God. That's the only thing that really, where we can find meaning, is in a relationship with God. Nothing else is going to suffice. Nothing else is going to do but following God. So look what he says at the end of the book in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. In addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. Some versions say, or this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Folks, the only thing, after, after observing everything under the sun, everything that there was to do, Solomon comes to the conclusion, here it is, the end of the matter, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, or this applies to every person. The only thing that really is going to provide us meaning and give us purpose in this life is fearing God and keeping his commandments. That's really where, like we were talking about this morning, where true life is found, where true abundance is found. And pursuing other things in this life, pursuing other, uh, you know, other things that we may enjoy, there's nothing necessarily wrong with those things in and of themselves, but they're never going to really provide us the lasting meaning or give us purpose. The only thing that can is, is God. That's the conclusion of Solomon's matter, is fear God and keep his commandments. So when we talk about fearing God, we're talking about a, a respect factor here, right? Revering him and respecting him and keeping him in his highly exalted place where he where he deserves. And folks, all we have to do is just sit back and think about all that God has done for us and all that he is. And the proper response is to respect him, revere him, to fear him, have this healthy respect for God. And that's what he wants from us is for us to fear him and also to keep his commandments. And again, we talked about that this morning. Keeping his commandments is simple enough. It simply means to do what he says. And again, we talked about that this morning, that a lot of people don't understand that keeping God's commandments, you know, it, they, they say it's, it's hard to do that and it's burdensome. But really, that's where we're going to find life. That's where we're going to find true meaning and happiness is when we obey God, when we respect him and we obey what he says. That's Solomon's conclusion. After I've searched everything, the only thing that really matters is fearing God and keeping his commandments. That's all that matters. John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we truly love God, if we truly love his son, we will do what he says. We will do what he says. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're going to slip up, but we're going to try our best to do what God says. And that if we truly love him, we will 
we will try our best to keep his commandments. I love what David Macklemore says here. He says, your life is eternally significant. This world under the sun won't tell you that. Only God can. This world builds you up only to let you down. With your eyes focused only on things under the sun, you can't help but think you really don't matter in the end. But with your eyes focused on God, he shows just how meaningful you are by his grace and for his glory. Every moment, every emotion, every joy, every pain, every trial and error, every sin and sorrow, every start and stop, every act of obedience, great and small, it all has meaning. Because God is watching, you have eternal value. We do have eternal value because of God. Not because of anything else in this life, not because of the things that we're going to pursue here. It's only found in God. Now here's the thing as, as we close out. Why is it that God is the only one that can give us purpose? Well, number one is God is the only one that can really give us something that lasts. Remember what I talked about at the beginning? The word meaningless means something that's temporal, something that is going to run away from us like smoke or like mist. All of this stuff here is going to be done away with. It's not going to last. All of our endeavors, when, when we're gone, it's going to be left to somebody else. Everything that we accumulate is going to be left to somebody else. It doesn't last. Things wear out really quickly here. But God can give us something that lasts. When we obey God and keep his commandments, when we fear him like he has said, and we treasure up, uh, we, we store up treasures in heaven, right? We've got something beyond this life. We've got something more than just here. Like, I, I sometimes wonder, what are people living for who are not Christians, who don't follow God? Because after this life, it's over. There's nothing else. It, they, they've had their reward here through the, the pleasure and the, the, the possessions, and then it's gone. But for Christians, it lasts. God gives us something that is beyond this life, beyond the grave, and we get to spend an eternity with him. We have a home with him forever. Only God can give us that. And that means hope. That second point, God alone gives us true hope. That for us in this life, this is not it. We go through this life, we have trials, we have tribulations, we have tough things that happen to us. But we can see there's something else waiting for us in the end. This is not it. This temporal life that passes by so fast and all the things that wear out and go... They can pass us by, but this world is not our home. And if, if we are following God, then we, we, can, we can book it down that we're going to be in heaven one day with him. And that's our hope, that we have that one a home in heaven with him one day. And I don't know if we think about that enough. God coming back and us being with him forever. Because we can get so wrapped up in this life. I know I do sometimes. But this is not it for us. And God... God gives us purpose because we have something more than just this life that, that passes by so quickly. But also we have to understand God is going to judge every single act that we have ever done. Look at what he says at the end. He says, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. That's Ecclesiastes 12 verse 14. One day we're all going to stand before him in, in judgment. Every single one of us. We talked about that this morning in our class in, in Hebrews, at the end of chapter 10. If we don't fear in and obey God, 
then we cannot expect to be rewarded by him, right? Thinking about standing in judgment, that should motivate us to, to live this life. That shouldn't be the only reason why we follow him because we're scared to face the judgment. But we should have that healthy respect that one day we're going to stand before him and we're going to give an account of what we've done here in this life. And we need to, to live the life that he's called us to live, fearing him and keeping his commandments. Folks, did you know that the average lifespan for the people in the U.S. is only 77 years? I read that stat and I, I, was, I was shocked. While we may be thinking 77 years, some of us may be thinking 77 years is a long time, um, it's really, really not. It goes by very, very fast in a flash. But, but still, a lot can be accomplished in 77 years. And, and many of us have done so many things in, in our lives thus far. Have you ever thought, though, what's the most important thing that I could ever do in my 77 plus years in life? What's the most important thing? Well, the most important thing that you could do is fear God and keep his commandments. There's nothing more important. And that's what dad was talking about is being faithful. There's nothing more important than being faithful to God. That's the most important thing we will ever do in this life. And we've got to get that down. Life can go by so quick. And we can get caught in so many things, but let's get caught in the love of Christ and follow him and understand that it's because of him that we can live this life. It's because of Jesus' sacrifice that we can pursue what matters. Without Christ, we don't have any of this. It's all because of him. So tonight, are you pursuing what really matters? Are you pursuing things of this life? Are you pursuing what really matters, Keep fearing God and keeping his commandments? Tonight, if you have any need, we hope that you will come forward. If you haven't been pursuing the life that God would